Welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. These podcasts are designed to motivate, educate, and to inspire you to take huge action in your life, to change your life from this moment on. I interview inspiring guests with amazing stories that you can hopefully learn from, relate to, and spur you on to achieve big things. If you want to follow my personal journey and all the different things that we do, please follow me on Instagram, which is Terry underscore Blackburn underscore property. Or on YouTube, my page is Terry Blackburn property. Me, myself, I've been from rags to riches, had nothing. Now I've built multiple businesses in over millions of pounds. I have a multi-million pound portfolio of property up in the northeast of England. I am by no means done yet. So please get in touch if you love the show. If you have any feedback for me, I'd really appreciate that. And I'm happy to help as many people as I possibly can. That's what this show is all about. So enjoy the episode. Take care, have a fantastic day, and don't just take notes, take action. Hi, and welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. Now, today's guest is a guy called Dale Smith. He's from the Northeast, so it's always good to interview other local people. That's fantastic. Really experienced guy, actually. Um, 15 years in the property industry, everything from residential to commercial to holdelets. He has a group of companies which involves six brands, including Host and Stay, uh, over 200 employees on target for 25 million in turnover in the year ahead. He has a personal portfolio uh, around about 50 units, so he's doing really, really well. I think it'll be a fantastic episode filled with knowledge, gems, and some lessons for, for the listeners. So welcome to the show, Dale Smith. Cool. No, thanks for having me on, Terry. Great to, uh, to be chatting with you this morning. No problem. No problem, mate. Thank you for coming on, mate. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy man, um, <laughs> for sure, getting up to all of this. Um, so, so thank you for coming on. So, no, so cool. what we like to do on the, on the show, Dale, is sort of talk about your career so far, broken down into three main parts. So the start, just an, a quick part about how you actually got into doing what you do and how you got into yeah. property and set up all these businesses. The middle part is what everyone loves to hear about, which is the growth part. So yeah. any key highlights of that? Part, you know, going from zero units to, to 50 and God knows how many you actually manage across all of your, your, your yeah. companies. Uh, but a little bit about that growth and any key lessons on there. And then just the current, where your head's at now, what your attention yeah. is on, where you see your group of companies going, you know, going forward. So yeah. um, if you could start by telling us a bit about the start first, really, Dil, how you got into it and how, how it all came about. Yeah, totally. So my uh, so my dad first got in, getting involved in buy to let property. I think it was around two thousand and three, something like that. Purchased a, a property off plan, not far away from where from where we lived at the time. Um, I ended up getting my own first buy to let property in two thousand and six, which was the year I was leaving for uni. So I actually went to studied in the US, played a bit of golf at the time, got a golf scholarship. So went out there in two thousand and six. Um, had a buy to let apartment at that that. Uh, at that point in time um so that got me on the ladder um at that perspective and then once i came back from the us in 2010 started working full time so i actually went into the motor industry which is where my family background is said i would never get into the motor industry but did and uh-huh. um, so once once i started working full time my dad and i were able to start investing together so that's the point we started to to build up the portfolio um so 2010, when I came back, we were mid-recession. So we didn't do an awful lot till probably 2012, 2013. Um, and we started investing on the buy-to-let basis. So, you know, purchase, refurbish, refinance where we could. My dad had done a little bit of that 
pre-recession when it was quite easy and you could do same day refinance oh. and the, the, the good old days when you when <laughs> yeah, the good anybody could make money no matter how much than you are how good they actually were <laughs> um, yeah. so so yeah so probably around 20 2013 2014 we started to ramp up what we're doing on the buy set perspective got into a little bit of commercial in Saltburn which is where we're where we're from and where we're based now um, at that point in time as well uh, and then it was 2016 that we got into the holiday let side of things so we bought a little bungalow in Saltburn um, you know literally yards from the beach on the on the S-Bank for anyone that is in the northeast and knows Saltburn well um, and we purchased that really on speculation it was it wasn't moving there was some issues around um, the property um, hadn't really been looked after for a lot of years so we bought it not intending for it to be a holiday let we bought it because we thought it was a good purchase and we could again refurbish it and, and revalue it and then we said at that point in time right you know, let's have a go at the, the holiday letting side of things we haven't done it yet revenue looks better uh, potential for better ROI and we we thought right you know let, let's test the market with it, the position of it's perfect so that's what we did we launched Burnside in March 2017 um, and everything has gone from there, really, on what we now do on the holiday let side of things. Um, that launching of Burnside coincided with me leaving um, my commercial job. So I'd worked my way up in the motor industry from being in the, a marketing executive to being commercial director at Peter Vardy, which runs a number of dealerships up in Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the the buy to let portfolio and the bit of commercial we'd added had let myself and my dad you know move away from full-time employment to focus on property we didn't know what the plan was going to be at that point in time we just both knew we loved property and wanted to wanted to do that full-time um and yeah Burnside launched March 2017 and we've really gone from there we couldn't find a holiday let agent that offered the service we wanted. We wanted a really a full management service. We didn't know anything about holiday letting at that point. So we wanted someone that could do the booking generation, do the guest communication, you know, manage housekeeping, manage maintenance. And that solution just wasn't out there in the market. So we said, right, you know, we'll, we'll do this one ourselves. So my background is sales and marketing. So we put it on Airbnb, we put it on booking.com. We started to generate bookings. Um, we did some of the cleaning ourselves, plus we had some, some local people that we utilized for that. Um, we brought a maintenance guy on because again, with what we had on the residential side of things, we, we could have a maintenance person part-time that could look after our residential stuff and, and burn side as well. So that was really the grounding for us in, in what we now do day-to-day -day in the host and stay business. Um, yeah. that, that property, um, you know, it was a good deal. We bought it at 180,000. We spent around 60, 70,000 on it. Um, it got its first revaluation at 325,000. So we added a good chunk of, of value on that. Uh, and that property today generates around 60, 65,000 per annum in, in revenue. So, you know, as an ROI, it's probably still one of the best deals we've uh, <laughs> yeah, ever done. That was as the well first. Kind of the, you know, the the key to the door of what we do now ultimately yeah, yeah. Fair play. And, and and you said it was sort of speculation that made you sort of look at it um what is it around the holiday list because i mean I, i've as a lot of the listeners will know i've sort of ventured into sa the past couple of years quite heavily yeah. I, I personally think it's one of the best if not the best cash flow and strategy you can, yeah. you can have um I, I find it quite enjoy enjoyable as well because yeah Kitting out these properties to a really nice standard. You don't do yeah. that on on buy let's say right? You don't yeah, kit them that. out to that yeah. that degree. But yeah. what, what is it for you that appeals about SA? And what would you say the main benefits of, of SA is? 
I think for me personally, because I, I, I'm very sales and marketing focused, I love that about BSA and the holiday lets that, you know, you can manipulate price on a daily basis. You're right, interior design's a massive impact. Photography is a big part of um, booking generation. We play around a lot with that. So there's so many factors, you know, and dials you can turn to, to actually get a performance out of it. Whereas the buy to let and the commercial is, you know, you already know what your market price is for your, yeah. for your AST two bedroom property in whatever location. You're not really, there's not much you can do to achieve more than that, or certainly nothing that is going to actually give you a really good return on investment over and above what you would already get. Whereas with the holiday lets, the, the interior design could make the difference of, £10 a night, which across 265 nights of occupations, a massive improvement on the bottom line. Same with the photography, the same with the description of the property. So all of these factors are the bit that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about for what we now do in the Holston State. And they're the bits that really attracted me to the holiday let side over and above just the, the standard, you know, residential and commercial stuff. Don't get me wrong, the commercial property is far and out the easiest and the simplest way of, uh, of getting a return. Um, it's, it's certainly if we've got stuff like most of ours where the tenants on an FRI lease um, and it's kind of over them to do what they're going to do. But in terms of running and, and managing things day to day, that the whole day lets, you know, gives you that, I suppose, that buzz and that excitement and actually you yeah, know, yeah. seeing output for what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's a, a that's some a good point as well. Um, do you still do buy to lets uh, or HMOs or anything like that? Or are you um, all we've, stuff? Or what's... We've never got into HMOs, just to where we're located, Terry. To be honest, we we've been based out in Saltburn and Coastline, and we don't see a massive market for it. So it's something that we've we've never got into. Um, but yeah, we'll still add little bits of buy to let and commercial when they pop up to the portfolio. For us, it's about yeah. diversification um, as well. I think we've seen that over over the pandemic period the holiday lets have had you know low lows and high highs but at least the buy to let portfolios continue to be to be steady um same on the commercial side of things that's been pretty steady for us as well um so so yeah we, we'll still add we'll we'll still add properties to the portfolio where yeah. where opportunities come up i think that's the thing for us now on the purchasing side we we will still buy properties that is on market um, but a lot of the time now we're we're getting little deals off market. It might be a building where we own your already own several apartments, which is what we've done recently. The last apartment in the block, the vendor wanted to sell, so it made sense for them to sell to us. So we'll pick up little little things like that now, really, um, rather than always buying off market. But yeah, we're always still looking to add to the portfolio. We're still looking good. Fair, fair play, fair play. Yeah. Um, so how's it went from Burnside to? Yeah. A, quite a large portfolio personally and how many do you actually manage for other people i mean it's obviously so we managed, quite a large organization but yeah so we managed just over 500 in the host and stay portfolio wow. at the moment uh aim of the game this year is to double that to a thousand so everything we've put in place really across certain the last six months of last year last quarter of last year is to get that infrastructure in place to to double the growth again this year um but yeah so we went from burnside in 2017 we um, we added another holiday let uh, the back end of 2017. I think it was December time. Um, and then at that point in time, we started to get other people we knew who had holiday lets asking us, oh, well, they saw what we'd done with, with Burnside uh, and asking us to start and manage for them. Pure, again, purely on, you know, off spec really. It wasn't our intention to immediately go down that route. Uh, and then by December 2018, I think we had nine 
holiday homes, combination of our own stuff and then others that we were managing for other people. Because um, it's probably worth saying on, on Burnside, when I had all the other holiday let agents come out, they were giving us quotes of income of between 20, 25 to 35 per annum. And we're, we're doing you know more than double that now. So our, our ability to generate revenue versus a competition is, is, has been one of our key, key selling points, really, and why a lot of people have moved over to us. Um, so we had so we had nine units December 2018, and that's when we launched the Host and Stay brand. So we thought at that point, you know, we're getting some demand for this. We want to do more ourselves. More people are looking for the type of service we're providing on the management side. So we launched the Host and Stay brand that December. Um, by the following December, we'd increase the portfolio from nine to about, I think it was about 65, 70 units. Uh, and then from there, we've pretty much doubled each year. So from December 2018 to December 2021, um, we finished we finished 21 on exactly 500 units. So we've gone from nine to 500 in that three year period. Um, and say so again, we're going to try and double again this year. But for us, it's about the full management side of things. So everything we do for our um, for our owners is in house. So you know, our marketing team, our booking team, our guest services, our uh, owner services, our maintenance guys are employed by us. Our housekeepers are employed by us. So for us, it's about having that end to end service, but all of it sitting with us because the vast majority of our competitors, you know, outsource to third parties on the operation side, um, where that can lead to quality issues. You know, it's kind of past the book in terms of if there is a problem. Whereas for us, we very much see as you know, we want to own it from start to finish, which works from us from a financial point of view. But also, a no one knows if there is a problem, it's our team they're dealing with. We're not saying, oh, well, you need to speak to so-and-so who's a housekeeper and, and having multiple parties involved. So that's really been our USP as a brand is that, you know, we are true full management service through our own team. No, no I love that. It, it makes sense for you as a business, but it also makes sense for the, the owner. It's, it's better for them, right? Yeah. It's, it's better for the guests as well. So it's a win-win for for everyone and I think in business that's a real a real key thing to try yeah. and create it in every situation that is possible uh, you know with this win-win and I think yeah. um just fair play what what um why do you I'm, I'm just curious into the mindset behind this because I'm I'm similar in terms of what we doubled the business during COVID my main business we're aiming to double again this year what's your mindset behind that though why doubling and, and is it just is there a, a, a like a, a main focus, a vision? What, you know, what's the driving factor behind um, Smith? I suppose we're we're still tr- we're still trying to find what does that end destination look like, and I suppose if that's if there if there is one, you know, we're having conversations at the moment of where you know where are we in three years' time? Are we still a private business at that point in time? You know, is the partial exit at that point in time? Do we go down the route of going public? So you know, those are all discussions we're having. Um, right now to try and say right you know where what targets are we going to set for the next three years because say the last certainly the last two has all been about growth and and adding more brands to the portfolio and I suppose our driver is from a client point of view we want to be able to service them end to end so across the SDD Smith group now we've got Graysmith Legal which is our our legal business mainly focused on conveyancing uh, just about to open our second office now in Spennymoor as well for that business so that's grown quite nicely um we have styled our interior design business again that's come through us doing the design ourselves for our own properties but clients asking for that service as we've developed host and stay so we launched uh, we brought our design team in-house uh, November 
2020 launched styled as its own brand last year so again that's on a you know that's a year of growth for for our interior design business because we want to bring in a lot more external work rather than just solely rely on what's coming in through through the host and stay business um we have our construction business woodsmith which does both residential and commercial projects again so that could be working on a property that is for ourselves or a a block of apartments which is for ourselves or it could be working for external clients um and then on the on the management side we've got host and state if the property is going to be a holiday let then we have manhattan property which is our residential commercial um management and also sales as well so from a a real estate perspective let's call it we can be full service and want to be full service for a client so if they're looking at purchasing it can come through gray smith and go all the way through each of the brands in the group before it's then output onto one of the management platforms so for me it's really starting to extrapolate that out as a wider group and a wider service business that's where the it's where the passion is for me really looking saying right okay is that another another service we need to add is that something we need to bring into the group so that you know gives us another entry point for a client but it we we create the stickiness to keep the client within our brands basically you've done all this in how long 2017 2018 yeah so Boston State was the first was the first brand so yeah over the last three years so you know, a lot of the businesses have, um, you know, last, last year was a big year for us starting new businesses. The construction business we'd done bits of in the past, but we brought Gary, one of my good friends from school in, in-house to join us in, in that. And we created a startup. Gary runs that business. Uh, we turned over, I think, one point, just over 1.2 million in the, in the nine months that we operated last year. We forecasted about 8 million in that business. That's going to be a big contributor of, of uh group revenue growth this year uh, and we've won some pretty big contracts in that business as well with um, Anglo-American British Steel as well so I um, mean you know, that, that business has gone from strength to strength in the first first 10-11 months of operation um, and the same and with what, 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 what type of business was that one sorry where you got your friend involved uh, construction the construction side sorry I didn't hear yeah. that there um, yeah so so we uh, could do anything uh, in there it could be a you know it could be a 30, 40, 50,000 pounds um, refurbishment could be a ground up build or say again, we're doing, you know, seven figure projects up with, with commercial um, commercial providers as well. So, you know, it's a real, a real breadth of, uh, of different projects, but again, it gives us another, another string to our ball from a group point of view. I was just about to ask around that as in what's this, not, not necessarily the specifics of the structure, but to scale it at, at that rate, Surely yeah. you've had JV partners, you've brought in key team members. What, what's your sort of views on growing teams? And, you know, you're obviously very good at that because you can't go from zero employees to 200 in the scale that you've done in it's just it's such a short period. So what's your views on te- building teams and the importance of it and, and how you can done that? Um, I think it's, it's interesting having the conversation yesterday because we were looking at um, we're looking at expanding what we do on the, the housekeeping and cleaning side of the business. And we're looking at a smaller business in, in Ripon to come into the group. And they, they've got stuck at the point of got about 50-ish properties that they're cleaning. And they, don't, they kind of don't want to take the risk of going past that growth curve of saying, right, we need to now start and bring an awful lot more uh, people and infrastructure into the business so they can continue to grow and actually work on the business. So I think we're we've always been i certainly have always been aggressive in terms of bringing the people in early and then and then forcing the growth of the business to to make that work so i think it's really difficult to think oh well i'll bring someone in when i reach this point because 
you're still doing it all yourself. So I don't think there's, for us, it's always been interior design, the example, we were doing that ourselves. We were reaching the point where we couldn't do it ourselves. We were looking at bringing one person in. The two two people that interviewed for it were both fantastic. So we brought them brought brought them brought them both in at the same time. So that team was supposed to be just a person. It started off as two people. It's now four people. But actually, on the face of it, we brought two in, and actually the business grew in line with that quite quickly because we were able to go out and say, you know, not be worried about bringing another project on, um, and. I suppose the we're, we're always looking for good people, Terry. I suppose that's the key yeah. the key thing in terms of the brands that we've got. It, we're now at the point we need the right people in there to to certainly take us on the next few years of of growth. And the, the teams will change shape, and you know people will move around. I'm sure over the over the coming years. Um, but it's been about getting for us passionate people who want to come in, passionate about what they do, um, and then try and build the teams around around those um, but certainly I think the key for us on the growth side is being bringing the personnel in early and taking that risk and saying right well can you force the business growth to need that person or outgrow that person to then keep on keep on growing the team and I think that's a lot of the issues I see with people who are struggling to scale their businesses actually taking that step to go you know bring someone in yes it eats a chunk of profitability out but if you're going to grow you, you've got to kind of force it past that I think that's a really interesting point there. And I think people, most people anyway, certainly who I speak to, they do, do it the other way around. You kind of touched on it. They'll say, when I get to this stage, we'll take on this member of staff. But you're kind of saying the reverse. We'll take them on early and force the business. And then you've got the capacity. Then you can scale yeah. scale quicker. Opposed to Because what happens if you get to that point where you need that member of staff, you can't recruit. I don't know if you're having challenges recruiting at the moment we certainly yeah. are it's i yeah. think personally right now it's probably harder to find good people than it, it ever has been since yeah. the time i've been in business but you're right i think that is a mindset shift that recruiting them early forcing the growth i think is a is a really good point have you read the book um who not how i haven't actually no that that's very similar that i've just right, okay. listened to the audio recently and that's all about this it's about you know who can you get to help you to get to where you want to where you want to be instead of thinking how can I do it myself? Yeah, yeah. all about building yeah. teams. Um, yeah, I think that's some great advice. Thank, thank you for sharing that. No um, clearly from from someone who's doing what you doing what you say. <laughs> you know, <laughs> two hundred employees and that's a gale over that period is fascinating. Um, so so you've obviously went you went through this crazy trajectory. You know, doubling. You know, two three years in a row. Um, what's next for you? Where do you see your group of companies? I know you mentioned maybe flotations and things like that, but um, have you got like an end goal? Have you got where you what you would really love to, something you'd really love to achieve? I mean, the thousand properties that's probably a bit of a milestone, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I think a thousand properties will certainly be be a mile, mile a milestone for us. Um, you know, we want to keep on growing the host and host and stay business, so we're mainly focused in the north. At the moment, gradually we're you know we're trying to move further south and further west because a lot of what we do is Northumberland, northeast down the North Yorkshire coastline. Um, yeah. So I want to keep on growing and, and scaling that business. So um, and we've just recently launched our licensing and franchise program, which will, will help us do that. Um, so we, we've got a lot of, lot in the pipeline this year to to really push that growth from a host and stay point of view. Um, you know, ultimately want to keep on growing the units on on that business. So a thousand this year. You know, really want to try and get to three thousand by the end of 
um, by the end of 2023, which is where the licensee and franchisee programs are going to be crucial to, to grow in that side of things. Um, and then across the other brands, really, again, continue growth. You know, for the interior design business, we, we want to be one of the biggest interior design businesses really in the UK, focused on SA holiday lets. Um, we're moving into a bit of commercial stuff as well and doing some residential. Um, but, you know, our expertise is in, is in the holiday let and SA side of things so we're trying to put a push on on growth in that market this year um and, and for me really yeah it's, it's keeping on expanding the brands i think ultimately we will bring other aspects of the business in-house um you know same as mortgages and insurance is something that we've looked at because it's a you know it's a perfect fit for what we're doing all we're trying to look at all the time is saying right when it comes to property what are the points our clients are having to go out to another third party and not use one of our businesses within the group and is that something we actually can bring within the group so whether that be you know architectural work whether that be finance and insurance products um we're always looking to say right what else can we bring in that gives us that full that full complement um so that we can keep people within group because again if we look at valuation further down the line it's trying to really create that unique offering from an investor point of view to say, right, you know, why why would they want to invest in, in our group of businesses, whether that be, you know, private investment or whether that be flotation, what's going to attract someone in? Um, so so that's that's kind of the, the vision that we're working towards now. I don't know what that end goal looks like. If you ask my family, they're always saying, when do we, when do we, you know, when do we uh, start and stop or where where is the end goal for yeah. me? It's kind of a, just an ongoing continuation of, of growth and evolving and and uh you know adding to the group terry really yeah fair play man fair play i love that um it's never ending improvement isn't it and never yeah, ending totally. progress and yeah and if you i don't know you imagine you're probably similar mindset to this every time i set a goal before i've even got there when i know i'm gonna get it i've moved the ball i moved yeah. the goal as soon as you're almost there so then you never really get that i've done it yeah feeling because what and if you do it's like next What's the yeah. next thing? And it's yeah. it's that it's that mindset thing, isn't it? And yeah. dwelling on a win is a dangerous thing, I think. Yeah. And, and and getting complacent, I think, is dangerous in business because yeah. there's always somebody younger, smarter, um, quicker, whatever. Yeah, you know, totally snapping right. at your heels, isn't it? You've yeah. got it. You've got to keep keep your eye on the prize and keep going yeah. forward. Um, yeah, totally right. Let's just let's just. I think I think you know you're clearly an expert in SA, I would say, based on the amount of years you've done it and, and the amount of things you've probably experienced in properties you've managed. Um, so we'll focus on the SA, trying to add value to the listeners. What what makes a good SA to you? If anyone's listening, because a lot of people yeah. reach out to me, so I imagine you get a lot more than me around SA, asking questions around SA, where should I yeah. buy? You know, What type of properties? What area? What does it need? What does it not need? Um, what's your advice on that? And, and maybe some... Yeah, just some guidance on SA properties in general. I think location is certainly key. So if it's if someone is looking and investing from scratch and they are open to locations, I think location is the first thing to to look at. Um, you know, our our portfolio is very heavy towards um, you know tourism, so very much holiday lets versus service departments. Say so, ahead. That's my fire alarm going off. <laughs> <laughs> Hope it's just a test, Jesus. <laughs> sorry mate. Right. you can tell this is not scripted it's live <laughs> sorry mate hopefully it doesn't go off again no problem um so yeah so i think we're you know we are very heavy on the holiday let tourism side of things yeah. so 
we yeah. see distinct difference in performance for a property that's right on the coastline to one that's further inland. Um, but I think location is, is absolutely key. So if it's going to be an SA apartment in Durham or Newcastle, keeping it northeast focused, then is it the right location in those you know cities to be attractive to um, to a potential guest? I think if so, for us on the whole that side, it would be location. Has it got a view? Does it have parking? Then what are all the the amenities that you want? Um, you know, so hot tubs. Personally, not a, not a massive fan of those on the whole on the management side because what, they do bring some what, issues. What, um, why is that? Why is that? They generate an awful lot more revenue or have potential to generate an awful lot more revenue, but they can also cause a lot more disturbance and call outs and such. Like I see a lot of people having a a property that they want to make a holiday home and it's in quite a residential heavy area and then adding a hot tub and people drinking and in the hot tub at one o'clock in the oh, morning yeah. and yeah. causes more problems than, than realistically what you gain from a profitability point of view so I'll often say to a client if it's going to be if it's a rural location on its own or you know you've got a few properties out on their own and they all belong to you and you're going to do something then fine you know crack on go for it but if it's going to be a hot tub in a residential location stay away because it's going to cause you more, <laughs> more problems than what you're going to gain from it ultimately yeah um yeah but certainly you know amenities is the other big factor of it in, in terms of what people are, are looking for what i would what i'll often say people ask me oh, is this location good so if if a client already has an existing property or you know their budget doesn't allow them to invest in you know a really really a really hot spot now, I'll normally say to them, you know, make it as good as you possibly can internally, because that's where that's what people are going to book off. So that's where the interior design really comes in. So it could be a box standard apartment in a block of apartments that are not necessarily attractive externally. But if the interior design is right inside, then that means your imagery is going to be as best it can be. And ultimately, that's what people are booking off. That's what's going to generate the bookings. And people are spending time, uh, you know, inside the property. So you know don't get caught up too much on location if you can't affect it don't get too much caught up on the externals if you can't affect it but the inside of the property you can so really focus on that interior design we got we work on a rule of the first four images in our listings that's what we play around with so what's the first image someone's going to see because that's going to get you the click and then what are the next three images they see within you know 15 20 seconds of scrolling at that point in time after 30 seconds they're going to be making their mind up of whether this is a property they're going to shortlist and go on to book or not so imagery is the one single point of difference versus the vast majority of essay operators that will will stand you out from the crowd and actually um if you play around with that it'll give you more conversions and, and potentially higher revenue as well um so I that's, yeah. that, I, I, that's great advice again i'm, I'm just thinking about um on Airbnb, I stay in Airbnbs quite often if I'm traveling. Um, like it is normally the first four, you've normally yeah. skipped. If that first, the first two to four, yeah, isn't, you have skipped, haven't you? I can't, um, back at that I, point. And, and I suppose we do it on right. I mean, I'm guilty of it still on right move. You go down right move. And I suppose if you're looking for a deal, arguably we shouldn't be looking at the properties that have got the best first image, but you do with <laughs> yeah. a consumer, you're attracted to that. Think, oh, that one looks nice. I'll click on that one. And it's the same thing if we if you're utilizing OTAs to generate a bookings for SA and holiday let that first image is is absolutely key. Um and you know for us versus some of our bigger competitors in the market where they actually lead with external imagery first on a lot of occasions. I think for us that's give us a, a real advantage. So we 
very, very rarely, you know, less than 1% of occasions will we lead with a first image on a, on a listing. It will always be an internal image and that image will yeah. vary based on size of property. You know, if it's got a view, then that will be in focus. If it doesn't, if it's a five bedroom plus property, it'll always be a communal area where people can see themselves getting together as a group and sit, having dinner or having a drink or whatever it may be. Um, so playing around with that, you know, for, for even the smallest of operators will have a big impact on, on booking and booking conversion. Love that. I think, I think again, that, that's cracking advice for anybody looking to get into SA. Would you say, I know, I know it does depend on, on whereabouts these places are, but would you say more rural stuff or more city centre stuff? Cause I see, I speak to people, they do a lot of SA and city centres because they rely on contractors. People come for, to cities for breaks, but then there's the counter argument to say people want staycations in the country and away from yeah. the city centres. Is any preference for you, from you personally or, or any views or opinions on that? Um, I suppose back to, I would put it back to diversification. So from speaking from a personal point of view, our portfolio is diverse, diversified across location and size. Because again, we want to hit as many of those markets as we, as we possibly can. I think through, through the pandemic, we definitely saw rural and coastal locations come back first. Then the smaller towns such as the Durham, Harrogate, Yorks, where let's say a little bit more history and culture to them or the, the towns, towns and cities where you could you go and actually go out, you know, and walk. If the shops were still closed, you could still go out and enjoy the city and, you know, go walking and, and kind of see what was going on from that point of view. Places like Leeds and Newcastle, we saw come back an awful lot later and I don't think we've seen them fully come back yet versus where they've got potential to get to. So coastal rural has definitely performed better on that basis. And uh, those locations where they're heavily tourist focused, we find we've got a better propensity to drive higher um, ADRs, so average daily rates. So people are, are willing to pay more to stay in properties in those locations because it tends to be a, a tourism or a leisure trip where they'll pay more for that. If we look at the city centre stuff, um, again, better opportunity to drive longer bookings, which in theory could generate more profitability because you've got lower operating cost of housekeeping um, and, and maintenance services. Um, I think with the cities, there is a bit more competition around price. So as I said, if you're, if you're operating in city centre, what are you doing to stand out above the crowd that's going to get someone to pay a little bit more to stay with you versus staying with a competition that is more in that, you know, that middle market. Our focus has always been top 15% of the market. That's where we've wanted to operate. So four and five star properties is our, is our core demographic and core um, audience that we're going for. So in our SA, more, you know, more urban SA properties, we, we're still not really going after the lower end of the contractor market we're going for more top end up to you know what i would call corporate market um in terms of the, the guests that are staying with us but you know back to your question is one better than the other not necessarily i would have said over the last two years coastal and rural has definitely been better because people have been traveling for leisure and they haven't been traveling for work um but back to the point if you can, if you're looking to build a portfolio, I would 100% say diversify across across those different markets because the thing I like about the urban stuff is you can appeal to tourists, to contractors, to to corporates, to parents traveling to see um, you know, children at university. So you've got a real cross section of the market. When you go down rural and coastal, you are you know 
95% plus tourism and leisure trade. So your the market you're targeting is much smaller. So our focus there is, right, well, can we take a bigger chunk of that market? Um, but I think ultimately diversification is key and product is key as well. I'll say no matter where your location is, if you're going to put a fantastic product in whatever given location, you know, you will generate revenue, you will generate bookings if your product is right. Yeah, and I think that, that that's cracking advice. Because, um, you know, there's people there's people online saying one or the other, but, you know, you're kind of impartial in this. And I think you've got a, a, a very, you know, validated you know you, you're experienced enough to you know you manage 500 properties i mean you've probably seen every type of property in every location certainly northeast northwest yeah. or wherever so i think that's it it's you know it's it's coming from the an experienced person so um what what about um size of property then is there any any views you've got on that whether it's some i've heard people say two beds is where it's at and you put a sofa bed in the living room so you can sleep six some people say it's all about the bigger ones. You'll get less bookings, yeah. but it's more profit, all this. What's your viewpoint on that, on size? Um, probably, again, diversification. <laughs> uh, if that is the key. We've always looked at, so if you take the one-bedroom market, you know, 70 to 75% of stock is in that market. Easier entry point, so naturally you're always going get, to get more in that market. The one nice thing with the one-bedrooms is that you um you've got a much shorter lead time from point of booking to check-in um so you've got more opportunity you're not having to get the the calendar stacked out far in advance to to generate revenue for it so if you've got one bedroom property and you get it going live you've got real opportunity to drive bookings from you know five to seven days out and get it going pretty quickly if you've got a bigger property you need a, a longer run in to actually get that first booking that's going to check in relatively soon because with the one bedroom properties you you're you've got that short short check in to um sorry book into check in window long property you've got an, an elongated um window people booking well in advance the one bedroom properties we see perform pretty well all year round so we see less seasonability on those right, okay. so if you take november december january which are the quietest months for us in the tourist areas the one bedrooms still do okay in those periods of time because a couple can think, okay, weather looks all right this weekend. Let's get away Friday, Saturday night, and you can get that last minute booking. Your four and five bedroom properties, you're not getting that last minute trade if it's not booked out. Probably at least thirty days in advance, the likelihood of generating a booking is is really diminished. Um, however, on the bigger end of the scale, the four and five bedroom properties, there is an awful lot less stock in that market. So again, speaking from a personal point of view, we have a lot of bigger properties in our holiday let portfolio. And the reason we've done that is that we feel if we can get the right product in that market, we can just take a bigger chunk of that market because the competition, you've not got as much supplies to the, there's less competition. Where yeah, in your one okay. bedrooms and your two bedrooms, there's way more supply, there's way more people getting into the market and and go into that end because it, it's an easier entry point. There's more stock, there's more availability where on the bigger stuff, there's less stock to buy. There's less stock to rent if you're looking at doing rent to rent. Um, so you have got a real opportunity in the in the bigger properties to do it right and take a big chunk of the market. You just have to you just have to know that in the lower months you're going to be you know it's going to be more difficult to get higher occupancy. But that said, some of our own stuff, if the product's right, you're still going to get the occupancy as well because there is still people travelling. If you take the chunk of the market, you're still going to have good occupancy. Um, 
So there's no same with all this, Terry. There's no there's no silver bullet. Ultimately, if someone was getting into it and they have got the capital to invest in bigger stuff, I would say. And if they're going down the holiday route, I would say, you know, go for something bigger, do it really, really well, make it exceptional. You you'll you'll get a fantastic yeah, return. And also, there's longevity there as well because you're creating a destination, so you've got a higher opportunity for those guests to come back again next year because all of a sudden it's a place they love going to whereas your one and two bedroom stuff which is really a commodity there's not necessarily a real tie or draw for them to come back and stay with you again in that property next year whereas your big stuff you can actually create that that customer loyalty around them as well yeah i love that again some cracking advice there um should mike should call you diversity deal yeah, yeah, diversity. That's yeah. the key to everything. That's cool, man. Thank you for that. Just one last question around SA, because I think again, I think this is adding huge value to the listeners. This um so you mentioned amenities at the start and you mentioned yeah. parking at the start. Is there any real things that you you maybe personally would not take on an SA in your own portfolio if it didn't have X? Is there anything like that that's like an absolute non-negotiable in your essay? Um, I suppose we would always put it in. So if I looked at something into, you know, the internals, so, you know, fridge, freezer, washing machine, uh, or washer, dryer, dishwasher, those type of basic amenities, I would say you always want them in, in place. Certainly if you're doing essay again at corporate or contractor level it depends where people are generating bookings if they're using bigger um sort of booking agents travel agents or corporate booking agents they're going to have minimum requirements on on those type of amenities that they want in place um so i would say you always want to make sure that you've you've got those um there's an interesting one around dog friendly or not again vast majority oh, yes. our own stuff is always dog friendly Coastal and rural, we see around 45% of bookings want to bring want to bring a dog. So that's a, a key factor in terms of booking generation, revenue generation. Yeah. Maybe not quite as prevalent in, in urban stuff, but again, it probably would be a factor that if you are dog friendly versus not, you know, I would kind of hedge my bet on that you would generate more revenue if you are dog friendly versus not. Um, and, and, and parking depends on location. So for me, if we take Whitby, which is one of our biggest areas in terms of volume of properties, if a property has private parking in Whitby, that's a massive tick in the box and that property will very likely perform better than one that doesn't. But on the flip side, people coming to visit Whitby know that parking is a premium and that it's you know not going to be a given at the place they're staying. So they're used to that. They know that. Um, so it's not it's not a, a deterrent on our side. If a property hasn't got parking, that's the norm. If it has got parking, that's a premium factor. Um, and I would always say if, if a property doesn't have an amenity internally we'd be looking and saying right we need to put that we need to put that amenity in if it hasn't got a, a certain amenity externally so you know does it have outdoor space or doesn't it if it doesn't then you know i would always prefer that it does out, have outdoor space if it's a leisure guest that i'm trying to attract if it's a corporate probably doesn't really matter so it's back to how good's my internal product over having that amenity missing really Hopefully that helps a little bit. It's a little bit around about where, but hopefully that helps. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. I think it's again, these are questions that I regularly get asked, and I think I'm sure you do too. 
I think it's just you know trying to add as much value as we can on this episode to yeah. people who want to get into SA. Um, no, that's great. That, thank you again. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, I mean, the, well, I suppose I've, I've got quite a lot of questions to say. I want to just try and squeeze them in. I'm just trying to think which ones will add as much value as possible to people. Um, we've covered location. We've covered, we've covered types of properties. We've covered bedroom yeah. sizes. We'll cover the style of them as well. I was going to ask yeah. around, but we kind of covered that. You've said that interior design is really, really key to it. Yeah. The first four photos, again, I think that's, that's, you know, that's cracking advice. Um, the dog-friendly stuff, they've done the non-negotiables. Um, yeah, I mean, what I would say next was is kind of around um, what you see for, you know, there's a lot of people talking around, talking about the staycation boom. It's going to yeah. stop when COVID stops. People are going to go abroad again. Everyone's dying to get away, all this type of stuff. Yeah. Um, What's your opinion on it? And what do you see for this staycation boom? Do you think it's going to stay around for a while? Do you think it's going to stay forever? Do you think it will dip? What's your sort of view on it? So I think pre-COVID, we were seeing year-on-year growth. So we, you know, we'd only been operating a short while before that, but we'd seen from, you know, from what Burnside was doing 2018 versus 2017, 2019 versus 2018, other properties in the portfolio, we were seeing year-on-year revenue growth. Um, occupancy we weren't necessarily seeing lots of occupancy growth but what we were seeing was right we can edge rates up a little bit higher so we were learning from the previous year thinking right we sold out too quickly there let's hold rate a little bit longer we can generate more revenue from the same same asset so we were we were definitely seeing an upward trend that's obviously been accelerated through the covid period or certainly in the the summer months it has been with with being able to generate more occupancy at higher rates um I think we'll we'll still continue to see that because I think we'll have seen a lot of people that have stayed in the UK over the last couple of years that, that maybe go away a few times a year and think one of those we're going to stay in the UK and, and explore other places. So I don't think we'll see I don't think we'll see a big dip at all in terms of um, you know occupancy dropping off or anything like that. I think the industry, if we take the short let industry in general, it's still in its infancy really versus where the hotel market has come over, you know, decades and decades of growth. The holiday let side of things or the SA side of things is still quite immature. Um, so I think we'll continue to see people move towards that product versus, um, you know, choosing a hotel. If we look at the hotel market at the moment, we've got a lot of big players in the market starting to put service departments into their product mix. Um, that's becoming more and more prevalent, which, you know, leads to think, right, they're seeing future growth and all the, the data and analysis they have. They're seeing that they have to start and play in that market if they're going to go and maintain or, uh, or even get some market share back after a big drop off. Um, I think also we're seeing a lot of convergence of different sectors. So one of our latest additions on, on the brand side of things is Coastays, which is our play on the urban market. So we're on that business, we're looking to operate bigger blocks of apartments, focus more on that, that cross section of, um, of different types of, of customer from leisure, tourism, corporate, contractor, et cetera, uh, but provide amenity on site such as gyms, working space, podcast rooms. So we're looking the same, right? What, if someone's coming to stay with us in that brand, can we keep them on site in building to do everything they need to do from a from a living and work perspective? So really giving giving them a, a service living experience, and I think we're seeing a big a big move towards that. I think we're going to see, you know, kind of 
the amenity that you'd expect in a hotel merging with HMO, merging with with SA. To be quite honest, we're seeing that a lot in um, a lot in the US. We're starting to see a little bit in London. I think we'll hopefully start and see it flood north a little bit. People that want to stay somewhere for three months because they are more transient. You know, I think the generations coming through, you know, behind you and I are more likely to, you know, just want everything inclusive in a price thing. I can go stay there for three months. I don't have to worry about utilities. I don't have to worry about someone cleaning my room and getting my linen changed. That's all done for me. I can stay there three months, right? Then I'm going to move on to the next city and do that. Or we're going to see this more transient type of guest and and probably um, tenant, I think. So that's where we're looking at a few years ahead to really say, right, where do we need to position ourselves for that? Um, it's kind of a, you know, a hospitality approach to, to the residential sector, I suppose. So um, I think we're going to see... Really interesting, that. We're going to see growth in, in the SA sector. I think we will continue to see that, but I do think we'll start and see a lot of these sectors start and merge and combine together um, as well. So... So, yeah, so we're doing quite a lot of, of work around that at the moment. It'd be interesting to see where where that heads. Um, and and I was going to say something else now. I can't think what I was going to say on the on the growth side. But yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't see it dropping off. To be honest, I think I was going to say I think regulation is probably the 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 biggest risk, if you want to call it a risk, to the sector. We saw it with HMO licensing. Hundred percent, we're going to see the same thing in in England. Certainly, we already see it's being passed in Scotland. We're going to see that come into into England as well, which for me, I think is a positive. I think it's too easy at the moment Definitely. for someone to stick a property on Airbnb. You could have a family with kids in there and it's not being you know, set up property, properly from a safety perspective. So we need some regulation within the industry. 100%. I've got no issue with a license inside of things because it's just going to knock out the poor operators are going to disappear yeah. and it's going to keep you good operators. So um, I think for a lot of people, that's going to, you know, there's going to be risk that comes with that. But I think if you're a good operator, it's a chance again to elevate yourself and, and, and you know, get above the competition really. Yeah, I love that. I'm in complete agreement with you on that. I mean, like I mentioned, I stay and Airbnb is quite regular because we're traveling and, I'm in between sort of Chester and Newcastle quite often because yeah. we partners yeah. in Chester and our, my businesses are in Newcastle, so I flick around quite often. Um, and some of the places I've stayed in, like they're definitely not in these are yeah. these aren't cheap places either. I'm not like yeah. going for the bargain ones, you know, the good couple hundred pounds a night, yeah. two, three hundred, whatever. And still, some of them, like yeah, I, I, the, the product is poor, and it would yeah. hopefully knock out a lot of the cowboys. Yeah, and would let the the proper operate as flourish like you mentioned i think yeah. I'm, I'm definitely up for that as well yeah um and i love what you said about that mix of sa hmo type type thing i mean i can visualize that when you said it it's some really quirky modern communal area where people can work yeah um i visualize like the google office have you seen the google office with yeah, all the totally, chalkboards yeah. and astro turf and all. Yeah. that's what i visualized when you said it um yeah. that'd be fascinating if something like that happens and i think it's happening in the US a lot of the time. It comes over here eventually. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> we've seen we've seen quite a lot in um, certainly in the London market. There's a lot of you know core living um, blocks that are coming about, and they've got that amenity on site. There's one in Manchester, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, I'll try and find it. I'll send it over to you afterwards, and you can you can share it out after. Um, and they're all theirs is core living. They've got a running track on the roof. Everything they have in their gym, oh, wow. everything's branded. So you know, very Instagrammable um, and they're really, they're, they're creating a bit of a, a cult following, I suppose, but people, there's waiting lists to live in that block. 
people you know just oh. aspire to live in there and i think we're gonna we're gonna see more of that come to fruition definitely that especially if people have been to uni they've stayed in purpose-built student accommodation you know high-end stuff they're used to that they're then leaving and getting into the working environment you know what's the next move for them are they wanting to in theory they're not getting on the property ladder straight away are they want into in theory downgrade to a you know a standard rental that they've then got to try and you know bring to life if they can do or what have you i think having that next step for them to go into a different level of let's call it hmo that has really got that on-site amenity it's got the gym it's got the place to work um and it's got a real community around it with those communal spaces um we're seeing a lot of places that do that have community events as well so um i think we're gonna see a big shift on that um and hopefully we'll see some of that in the north as well definitely definitely no i love that um dale it's been a, a really really interesting episode i think there's been loads of value in it um for sure. I'm sure you get loads of messages. I'm sure people are reach out to you off the back of it. But the show's called The Rags to Riches Show. Um, but what does being rich mean to you? Because being rich can mean so many different things. You can be rich in time, money, assets, whatever. Um, but what does that phrase mean to you when I say it? Um, I think probably, I think for, for me, freedom to do what you want to do. Um, and also, you know, the enjoyment of what you do. You know, everyone asks me how I, you know, I'm, always on doing something which for me that that's the bit I enjoy you know that that's the richness for me is to be able to to be able to grow these businesses to do that I get a buzz from it I'm passionate about it that that's the love for me that's the difference and I think even if we if we sold up tomorrow I'd still want to do something else I still want another project because that's yeah. what drives me ultimately and I think if you can find that that for me is the the Richard side of it. You're not sat doing something you don't want to do. If you're doing something that you're passionate about and you love, that that's the key, 100%. Love that, definitely. Why not do something you love? You have a choice, right? Yeah, absolutely. So why do something you don't enjoy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dale, thank you so much. If people want to reach out to you, if people want the advice, if people want to follow you, if people want to message you about hosting, stay and see how that service works, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out to, to you? Um, so find you find me on LinkedIn. Um, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, my email is dale at sddesmithgroup.com. Drop me an email. Um, you probably find me on Instagram. I think it's dales underscore 88 on Instagram. Um, so yeah, any of those channels, drop me a line. Love to, to chat, help wherever I can do. I'll always try and add value for people. Amazing. Dale, thank you so, so much. Have a great rest of the day and thank you for sharing so much value. Cool. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for having me. Speak Thanks, to you soon. Mate.